Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 4. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. I was reading the history of the rabbit's foot, and get this. In order for the rabbit's foot to truly be luck, it had to be the hind foot. The rabbit had to be caught and killed in a cemetery. The rabbit had to be captured during the full moon, the new moon, 5 to 13. Some suggest the rabbit had to be cross-eyed. This was an unlucky rabbit. (laughs) Had to be cross-eyed and then killed by shooting with a silver bullet. I know. And you know what? Honestly, that sounds actually pretty evil. There's something evil in there about that. It's unfortunate, though, but listen. It's unfortunate that Christians and people of faith use religious and spiritual things as a good luck charm and superstitiously. Some people feel it's important to have a statue of a saint on their dashboard of their car for protection to keep them safe. Some Christians wear a cross around their neck as a lucky charm. Maybe you never thought about it, but some Christians recite three magic words at the end of their prayer in some kind of lucky way, in some kind of superstitious way, an unthinking way. Those three magic words, in Jesus' name. For some, in Jesus' name is like Alakazam, Abracadabra, 10-4, good buddy. Over and out. You know, they, 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 you know, if you say a prayer and then you add in Jesus' name, it's like, poof, it will happen. Saying in Jesus' name, saints, listen, is a very serious thing. Very serious. John 14, 13. And whatever you ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. To ask something in Jesus' name starts with delighting yourself in the Lord. Write that down. Starts with delighting yourself in the Lord. To the Jewish person, the name expressed the essential character of the person named. So to pray in Jesus' name is to make a request that you believe is in full harmony with Jesus and his purpose. When you say in Jesus' name, you're saying, God, I'm asking for something to be done that I know and believe is in line with your will and your mission. You see, if Jesus, you say in Jesus' name, it's not a magic word. It's not a sign-off. You're saying, God, I believe in, 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 in that what I'm asking for is your will. You know, I think of, uh, which brings me to um, uh, this whole thing about putting out a fleece. How many times have we had people tell us, you know, uh, they're facing a situation that they, they, they need wisdom or they need direction. They'll say, you know what, I'm going to put a fleece out before the Lord. Anybody ever heard that? I'm going to put a fleece out before the Lord. Judges chapter 6, 
Gideon is told by God that he is going to give Gideon and his army of 300 men victory over the Midianites. And Gideon decided to put a fleece out before the Lord. Judges chapter 6, verse 36, read that in your own time. He said, God, if you're going to save Israel, he said this, read the chapter. God, if you're going to save Israel, as you have said, I'm going to put a fleece of wool out. And if in the morning dew is on the fleece and not on the ground, then I'll know that you're going to keep your word. Well, the next morning, fleece is wet, ground is dry, God is faithful. Judges chapter 6, verse 39, Gideon said, God, don't be angry, but let me do it another way. I'll put a fleece out, and if the fleece is dry and the ground is wet, then I'll know it's of the Lord. Next morning, fleece is dry, ground is wet, God is faithful. I've heard people say, Pastor, I don't know if God wants me to do this or do that. I'm going to put a fleece out. I'm going to put a fleece out to see if I should take that job, a fleece to to see if I should move in that city, a fleece to see if God wants me to marry a non-believer. Listen, you do not need a fleece, nor counsel, nor prayer about Anything that God has specifically spoken to in the word of God, what you need to do is obey the Lord, obey the word. Put a fleece out. What is that? The fleece that Gideon put before the Lord was not a fleece of a faithful man. It was the fleece of a faithless man. It was the fleece of a man who didn't trust the Lord. It was a fleece of disobedience. Gideon didn't believe the word of the Lord. Gideon didn't trust God. Gideon was already told that God was going to defeat the Midianites. So the fleece actually speaks of disobedience. If you want to know God's will, a fleece won't help and foots won't help. God is looking for faith, fellowship, patience, prayer, and then you'll know what God's will is and what God's purpose is. Can somebody say amen? Clap your hands and do something. Listen, a word of wisdom. Be careful about using God to solve your problems if your life is not yielded to him. Be careful. Be careful of the form of belief that is confused with the symbol of faith. A form of belief that is confused with the real presence of God, it will lead to religious decay. Instead of the people looking at the ark and revering the ark of the covenant as a holy thing and a symbol of God's presence, they turned it into a religious relic, a superstitious thing. They were looking to the ark of God rather than the God of the ark. They were looking to it rather than him. In verse 4, tells us the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, went and they got the ark and they wanted God's help, but they didn't want God's holiness. In verse 5, when the ark of the covenant comes into the camp, all Israel shouted so loudly that the earth shook. If someone was driving by the camp of Israel, you would have thought something tremendous was happening. With all the shouting, you would think they were really trusting God. But in actuality, there was nothing going on but a bunch of noise. Noise does not mean presence. (laughs) Noise does not mean presence. That was another thing I learned. After leaving the Catholic Church for many, many, many years, and I went to a Pentecostal church, and it was a lot of noise. A A lot of jumping, a lot of shouting. Y'all know I told y'all we would. 
I, I never forget the time. I, I got time to tell you. I never forget the time. I, 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 <laughs> they, were, they, were, they were talking about the walls of Jericho and how, you know, they, they ran around the walls of Jericho seven times and only said, honey, you remember this? And uh, I think we were married at that time by then, weren't we? I think so. And uh, so they, they were talking about the, you know, Gideon running around, uh, the people running around the walls of Jericho seven times. And on the seventh time, they were shouting. They, the pastor said, well, that's what we're going to do in this service this time. We're, we're all going to get up out of our seats. So everybody stand up out of their seat. And everybody got up out of their seat. And then they said, okay, now we're going to run around the church. There's about 100 people in the church. We're going to run around the church seven times. And on the seventh time, when you get here to the altar, I want you to shout. And when you shout, the walls are going to come down. I know what walls they're talking about, but I'm just go with it, right? And so I'm like, everybody else doing it. I'm going to do it. Because I, I didn't know. I never knew anything. So I just was like, okay, if everybody else is running, I'm going to start running too. So I'm I'm getting around, I'm doing my thing, and I get around a seven time, and, you know, they, uh, everybody, was, everybody got around seven times, and everybody was, yeah, yeah, Jesus, yeah. It was all new to me, so I'm just like, yeah, yeah, Jesus, yeah. And the pastor was like, how y'all feel? I said, tired. <laughs> I feel tired. I'm like, Whoo. Man, this church thing is really exhausting. I was, uh, I was new to church, so I didn't really know that much about church. And uh, so I'm like, man, this church thing is a workout. Yeah. It was a lot of noise. But there really wasn't any presence. And somebody once said, it doesn't matter how high you jump, it's how straight you walk when you come down. That's very true. So the people are shouting. And don't get me wrong. We should understand this. God is into shouting. There's nothing wrong with shouting appropriately. To shout now would be inappropriate. Say amen. Amen. If you shout now, you have to leave. Not appropriate. God is, <laughs> God is in the shouting. He really is. The people, again, marched around the walls of Jericho. And the seventh time around, shout. Second Chronicles 13, if you're interested, the Lord gave Judah victory over Jeroboam of Israel after the shout. Psalm 511, let all those rejoice who put their trust in you and let them ever shout for joy because you defend them, God. Zechariah 4, when the construction of the temple was halfway complete, And Zerubbabel, the priest, became uh, discouraged because the progress stopped. Zechariah told Zerubbabel to go to the foundation stone and shout unto it, Grace, grace, and the mountain that is before you shall become like a level plain. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, when Jesus comes again, he's coming with a shout. The Lord is into shouting. Notice in verse 6, When the Philistines, we've got to move ahead. When the Philistines heard all the noise, they said, what's going on over there? What does the sound of the shouting of the Hebrews mean? And they understood the ark of the Lord had come into the camp. 
the Philistines were afraid. They said, nothing like this happened. Actually, in the Hebrew, it reads, nothing ever like this happened actually recently. The Philistines said, these are the gods who struck the Egyptians. Think about that. It's been 500 years since the people of God were in Egypt. And the story of what happened coming out of Egypt is still big news. Obviously, the Philistines don't know Israel's history that well. The ark wasn't crafted until 200 years after the people of God leave Egypt. The ark had nothing to do with them leaving Egypt. But the Philistines don't know that. They said, oh, it's their God, the box. It's how they wiped out the Egyptians. Look at verse 9. The Philistines begin to encourage themselves, and they said, listen, we have to be strong and conduct ourselves like men so the presence of the ark didn't cause them to feel like giving up. Instead, it made them feel they have no fight. They've got to fight harder to overcome the odds. They said, listen, we had them in subjection and servitude. Don't start whining and freaking out because if you do, they're going to get us in servitude. So conduct yourselves like men and fight. Look at verse 10. The Philistines defeated Israel and slaughtered 30,000 soldiers. Listen in your mind's eye. What? Think about, imagine what the battlefield looked like with 30,000 dead bodies on it. All of this blood and carnage piled up around the Ark of the Covenant. Not only did, those, did Israel lose, but they lost worse than before taking the Ark into battle. At first, they only lost 4,000. Are y'all hearing me? At first, they only lost 4,000. Now they've lost 30,000. That's seven times more men. Verse 11 tells us the ark of God was captured. Now, it doesn't say the God of the ark was captured. It says the ark of God was captured because the God of the ark is still on the throne. Uh, Somebody say amen. amen. Orchestrating everything for our good and his glory. Hophni and Phinehas are killed at this time. Jeremiah tells us Shiloh is destroyed. The ark then goes to Judah, then to Jerusalem, but never again to Shiloh. Three reasons for the defeat. Number one, the Philistines fought like they were the underdogs. Number two, the Israelites felt that it would be an easy battle because the ark was there. Number three, God did not feel obligated to bless them just because they were superstitious. God is not a genie in a bottle to be summoned. He's a God of all gods. He's a king of all kings. He's a sovereign potentate whom you cannot manipulate. Okay, look at verse 12. Then the men of Benjamin ran. The man of Benjamin ran from the battle line. Verse 12, you looking at it? Say amen. The man of Benjamin ran. From the battle line the same day and came to Shiloh with his clothes torn and dirt on his head. Now, when he came, there was Eli sitting on a seat by the wayside, watching for his heart trembled for the ark of God. And when the man came into the city and told it, all the city cried out. When Eli heard the noise of the outcry, he said, what does the sound of this tumult mean? And the man came quickly and he told Eli, Eli was 98 years old and his eyes were so dim that he could not see. Then the man said to Eli, I am he who came from the battle and I fled today from the battle line. And he said, 
what happened, my son? So the messenger, this unnamed man, answered and said, Israel has fled before the Philistines, and there has been a great slaughter among the people. Also, your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, are dead, and the ark of God has been captured. And then it happened when he had mentioned of the ark of, made mention of the ark of God that Eli fell off the seat backward by the side of the gate, and his neck was broken, and he died because he was old and he was heavy. And he had judged Israel for 40 years. Now we learn this unnamed man, let me have your attention, this unnamed man of the tribe of Benjamin ran from Aphek to Shiloh, which is about 20 miles. The trip was mostly uphill and he carried bad news. Now listen, this is before the days of cell phones and emails. So if there was news, you would send someone running. This man got to Shiloh with torn clothes and dirt on his head, which tells us this man was broken by the slaughter and mourning. He was in mourning, grieving and throwing dirt on his head and tearing his clothes all the while running with the news. And so, of course, if you show up with clothes torn and dirt on your head, obviously something's wrong. But when he got there, Eli was sitting on the seat by the wayside watching. Now, listen, Eli was not watching. What are you talking about, Willis? Watch this. Verse 15 tells us, we just read it. Eli was 98 and blind and overweight. His eyes were dim. So Eli isn't watching with his eyes. He's watching with his ears. Eli is sitting on the seat waiting back at the tabernacle in Shiloh for the news of the battle. Verse 13 tells us Eli's heart trembled for the ark of God. Verse 14, Eli hears a commotion in the city regarding the loss of the battle. He hears the news about the priest, the ark, and the slaughter. He asks for information, and the messenger gives him the bad news. Now, here's my sanctified imagination. Perhaps Eli knows he let the ark go, and it was unwise. He knows it was unwise and a superstitious mission. Maybe his conscience told him, All this will end in disaster. So the messenger gives him the news. And the news, did you get this? Goes from bad to worse to worser to worst. What do you mean? Well, number one, notice Israel has fled before the Philistines. Bad. Number two, there's been a great slaughter among the people. Worse. Number three. Your two boys, Hophni and Phinehas, are dead. Worse, sir. Number four, the ark of God has been captured. Worst of all. Eli hears the news. He fell off the seat, broke his neck, and he died. It wasn't the news. Did you get this? It wasn't the news of Israel's loss in battle and the awful slaughter why he died. It wasn't even the news that y'all get that. Are y'all listening? You still with me? It wasn't even the news of the death of his two sons. He knew them. They were something else. Every parent know their kids. Where my parents at? Say amen. You know your kids. Them boys were something else. And if you've been with us in Samuel, you know they were something else. So he didn't even die when he heard the news that his two boys were dead. It was the news of the Ark of the Covenant being captured and lost to the enemy is when he died 
Someone once said this, no sword of the Philistines could have slain him in any more powerfully. Neither can you say whether his neck or heart was broken first. Verse 19, I got to come in for a landing. Look at verse 19. Now, his daughter-in-law, Phineas' wife, was with child, due to be delivered. And when she heard the news about the ark of God was captured and that her father-in-law and her husband were dead, she bowed herself and gave birth for her labor pains came upon her. And about the time of her death, the women who stood by her said to her, don't fear. They're trying to encourage her for you have born a son. But she didn't answer. Nor did she regard it. And then she named the child Ichabod, saying, What's she say, says, the glory has departed from Israel because the ark of God had been captured and because of their, uh, her father-in-law and her husband. And she said, the glory has departed from Israel for the ark of God has been captured. So Eli's daughter-in-law gives birth, has a boy, dies in the birthing process. Think about this. What a day of loss. What a chapter of loss. First, they lose 4,000. Then they lose the ark. Then Hophni and Phinehas are dead. Now 30,000 foot soldiers are dead. Then the high priest Eli is dead. His sons are dead. Now Phinehas' wife hears that her father-in-law and her husband is dead. And she goes into premature labor, gives birth, and dies on the birthing table. Before she actually died, the women who were standing there told her she gave birth to a baby boy. And that's when she names the child Ichabod, which means the glory of the Lord has departed. And the reason the glory of the Lord has departed is because the ark of God, which represents the glory of the Lord, had been captured. The glory of the Lord hadn't departed from Israel because the box is gone. Don't get that twisted. God was still on the throne, say amen. God was with Samuel every day. God had found a mouthpiece in this young boy. God was going to change the course of the nation in this young man. The glory of God dwelt in Israel, but their sin forced God to depart. Listen, I don't care what you say. This is how it works. Sin will cause God to depart. That's a fact. You cannot live in sin and think that you're being blessed. You can't live in sin and think you're being blessed. It don't work that way. Remember I told you a long time ago, God don't bless mess. Write that down. It doesn't work that way. He doesn't. You cannot live in sin and be blessed. You cannot be in sinful situations and be blessed. You cannot enter into sinful business relationships or whatever it might be and be blessed. When that happens, Ichabod, the glory of the Lord departs. They force God to depart at an hour when they needed it most. Israel departed from the Lord and God departed from them. I want to ask you, listen, fellas, let me ask you a question. Since you've been back from the retreat, retreat is the glory of the Lord still present? Has it departed? Mom, dad, is the glory of the Lord in your home? Or has it departed? Ichabod. Where's the glorious presence and the power of God in your life? Or is it Ichabod? 
We have to make our calling and election sure. This thing called Christianity, you got to pay attention to it. You got to stir up the gifts that God has given you and pay attention to your Christianity. And it's important for you to go to church. And it's important for you to fellowship. And it's important for you to hear the word of God. And it's important for you to read the word of God. And it's important for you to pray. Because if you don't do these things, what will happen eventually? Eventually, Ichabod. The glory of the Lord will depart from your life. From your home? How about your marriage? Is the glory of the Lord still present and powerful in your marriage and your family? Where's the glory gone? We've got to ask ourselves, is the glory of the Lord present in our lives? Are we living lives filled with the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit? You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch, in Calvary Chapel, Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. You may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the Media Library on our website at cccarry.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light.